a bad start if you miss your cue when it's time to get up here. But, well, uh, as I was preparing for this uh, sermon, I thought uh, about how oftentimes uh, there are words that we use in life and we don't spend a whole lot of time giving a whole lot of consideration. Uh, as a, a child in this generation, I've spent a lot of time riding in cars and I, I've seen uh, the thing that's up front that oftentimes there's all kinds of, uh, you know, little sticky things or maybe you keep yours clean. But uh, as I was a mechanic, I remember being excited when I would get a, a job in which they told us that we were going to have to access the dashboard. And, and you know, you'd pull this thing out and you'd set it to the side and the car would like completely transform. But in all of those times that I've looked at a dashboard, I've never thought to myself, why do they call that a dashboard? Uh, and as, as we were watching a news organization uh, thing for, with our children, uh, they described uh, why it's called a dashboard. And I thought to myself, huh, that's, that's really interesting. And as I was preparing for this sermon, and uh, I remember volunteering several months ago saying, oh yeah, I'll preach on lust. Uh, I thought to myself, wow. Uh, maybe, maybe that was the wrong call. Tim's going to be back from sabbatical. He could have done this. Um, but as, as I started to look at that, I realized, you know, there's a, there's a lot to this word uh, that our culture has really narrowed down, uh, that there's a whole lot here that I don't really understand. And as I've read this in Scripture, I've let uh, the culture around me really kind of pinhole me into or corner me into one area of thinking, and this is, this is far broader than, than I really think. If, if you're like me when you heard the word lust, uh, you might be thinking, oh, this is, this is not where I want to be tonight. But uh, there, there is the idea of, as we're looking at this, if you were to look it up in the dictionary, most dictionaries in today's uh, language would come and say that lust is uh, usually an intense or unbridled sexual desire or an intense longing for another individual. And so that would be what I, I think I would have described it as, probably not as in many words, but uh, as we start to look at the, the progression of the language over the years, and even as we look at it in Scripture and some of the original language in the Greek, we have to start to kind of widen our view a little bit and realize that uh, this is actually uh, more of a generic term uh, that is described as a, a desire or an intense longing for something. Uh, it, it was originally a, a kind of a neutral term, so it wasn't always a demeaning, or it wasn't always negative, but tonight uh, we're going to be looking at it in the context of uh, how it is a sin, uh, and because that's where we're in the middle of a sermon series on the battles before us. And so as we kind of have a, a better understanding and uh, kind of defining of the term of, of what lust is, uh, we need to, to be kind of uh, have some context of the passage as I read it tonight. Uh, I made uh, the rookie mistake as I started to prepare for the sermon, and I, and I found the text that I thought would work really well uh, because the, the, all the, the t- different things on the computer lined up and said, okay, that's, that's the one. But as I started to prepare, I started getting really frustrated that I didn't quite understand. And as I started to open up and look at the context of the verse, and particularly who was writing it, I started to see the beauty in it. And so uh, to start things off, uh, let me give you a little context. We're going to be in 1 John. This was a letter written by the Apostle John. Uh, And as he mentions in the beginning of this letter, he is explaining to uh, what he is calling children. So these little children or new believers in Christ, uh, he's, he's 
has this longing to equip them for what lies ahead. He wants to teach them how to live a Christian life. He wants to prepare them for what lies ahead. Here is a man who uh, walked with Jesus. He was personally discipled with Jesus. He knew him intimately, so much so that in the upper room he even laid his head on his lap. So there was this aspect in which we are hearing from a man who walked with Jesus and who is now gone through seeing the death and the resurrection. He, is, he has seen Pentecost. He has seen the early church rise up. He's seen the difficulties that the old man and the, the flesh has, has brought, and then also the devil has raged. And if you were in any of the, the conference notes, Dominic did a great job of explaining these two lines. And, and there was the, 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 the group of, of individuals that are in darkness and in light. And so John is using those. And so he is He's looking at this, and he's addressing individuals that are in the light, and he wants them to be prepared, and he wants them to be able to fight against the darkness and the, the ways in which the flesh is going to, to try and drag darkness back into their life. And so with that kind of context, um, we're, we're able to better understand uh, this passage. And uh, for a little clarity, I'm going to be reading not from the ESV, which is what we normally use, but I'm going to be reading from the NA, NASB, which I think is in the slides, and in the bulletin. And the reason for that is the Greek word uh, for lust can also be translated desire. And since we're talking about lust, I picked a, a translation that has lust instead of desire. So if you will follow along with me, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all, is in, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it, is from the, but it is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. That's in the reading of God's word. One other thing that we need to kind of identify in this before we get too far in is the definition of the world here. While we could spend a tremendous amount of time trying to understand that, a, a, a good definition that I read that I think will help frame the discussion in which we talk about lust is the world is in this passage. It doesn't mean that the world is the general world, but rather it means the world that has abandoned its creator and lives apart from its rules. Let me read that one more time. The world in this passage means that the world that has abandoned its creator and lives apart from its rule. So with that, uh, kind of an idea of where we're going so you understand we're going to look at the lust of the flesh, then we're going to look at the lust of the eyes, we'll look at the pride of life, and then to close things out, uh, we're going to look at the ways in which we can fight against those in our own lives. So the first thing we need to do is look at the lust of the flesh. Martin Luther describes the lust of the flesh as the pleasure which I desire to indulge my, my flesh, such as adultery, fornication, gluttony, ease, and sleep. And as we look at the scriptures, there are many opportunities and examples that we can see where the lust of the flesh comes into effect. 
If we read on, the apostle John refers to Cain, and he talks about Cain. And if we go back and look in the garden, we see after Adam and Eve are removed from it, that they have children and offspring. And we have Cain and Abel, and there's these two offerings they give forth. And what is it that the Lord says to Cain before he does the the horrible act of of killing uh, his brother, as he tells him, sin is crouching at your door. There is this this idea of this lust of the flesh that is, is welling up in him, this darkness that is creeping up in the way in which Satan is using him to try and defeat the seed of the woman. And as he thinks about that and as he acts upon it, we're also brought to the future. And we think about how Jesus is before uh, he, he's, he has been uh, in the garden uh, or out in the wilderness, and he has uh, been fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights. And it says the simple thing that he was hungry. And it's, you know, as an understatement, we think about that. But as Jesus uh, is looking around and all of a sudden Satan appears on the sin, or on the scene, what is, what is the temptation that, that Satan tries to act upon in this? As he looks at rocks and he says, you know, you're hungry. Why don't you turn these, these rocks into bread? And of course, Jesus is hungry. But his response is that he is going to trust in the Lord and feed upon him. And so there is this, this denial of the flesh because he wants to pursue the Lord instead. instead. But as we look at our own lives, I think we can make this more personal. We can start to see in uh, our own lives very quickly different ways in which we um, bump up against ways in which our sins of our, uh, or the lust of our or desires of our flesh start to act out. I remember early on in marriage, uh, one of the, the first evenings in which uh, Jessica and I were laying there, and I heard this bump in the middle of the night, and it was before kids or animals, and I thought, whew, there might be somebody in, in our apartment. And I leaned over to Jessica, and I bumped her, and I said, do you want to go check on that? And I thought to myself, as she responded, no. I was like, that's probably a good answer for her. And I remember getting up, but it was this pursuit of ease, this whole, well, I, I, I don't want to do that. that. There might be somebody dangerous over there. Uh, there was this, oh, well, I, I want to just lay here and, and be sleepy. Or there's, as parents, you know, there's often times in which you see the kid in the corner and, and they're doing something there, whether that's soiling a diaper or whether that's, you know, writing on the wall or something. And, and you know, you kind of wait for a moment to see if anybody else is noticing, so maybe they'll handle it. Uh, but those are, are kind of funny, but there's, there's ways in which uh, we, we start to see uh, the lust of the flesh uh, kind of spending even more in our in our own lives as we start to see these things we we start to see the ways in which uh, we long for uh, quick and easy money the way in which uh, there's this desire uh, to, to 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 maybe play the lottery to to go after something uh, in the news and many other ways in which we see these constant reports of somebody that invested money into something and, and next thing you know they only work two or three days a week and and they're making thousands of dollars. These things make us perk up and, and we pay attention when we think, well, maybe that's, that's something that I, I would like to do. Uh, we also see the ways in which uh, we, we long for different things um, and we, we really want uh, to, to not work as much for them. There's, there's this challenge in which we're trying to teach a work and life, uh, you know, um, to, to teach our worth worth work ethic to our children, and it's, it's a lot of work, and it's, it's a real big challenge. 
But then also, uh, you know, we also have multi-generational in our church, and we have children and, and young adults and, and older adults, but we also have those that have hit retirement. And so there's all of a sudden this change in season where there's, uh, what, do, what do I do with life now because I'm not working like I used to? How do I, how do I still engage in life? And so we see this, this continual aspect in which uh, our, our flesh continues to, to cry out and to want and desire things, whether that's food, whether that's ease, whether that's comfort, whether that's um, uh, the idea of, of adultery that comes in. As we, as we don't want to necessarily narrow the, the term of lust, we also have to, to make sure that we keep that in, that, that there is a desire in our hearts for oftentimes in our bodies where we want and we long for those of the opposite sex, and we, we want to, to go forth, and with outside of the, the bounds of marriage, we want to participate in activities that are inappropriate. And so we, we need to make sure that we're aware of these different things that are welling up in us. Uh, these, are, these are the lusts of the flesh. But the Apostle John continues on. He also talks about the lust of the eyes. Uh, a definition that I read is, uh, the lust of eyes is to covet that, that which opposes God, whether that's ungodly status, success, pursuits, possessions, or even people. In the Bible, we see this in the garden from the beginning. When we think of Eve being tempted by Satan, what is her response as she looks and as she's tempted? She looks upon the fruit and she sees with her eyes that it looks good, that it's tasty. If we go ahead to the, to the temptations of Jesus, to the third temptation, when he's taken up onto the mountain with the devil, what does he do? He looks and he tells Jesus to look out at all the kingdoms. And he says, look, if you see, you can have all of these things. Use your eyes. Take in what you're seeing around you. I, I can give you these things. And we live in a world where the same thing's happening to us, where there are all kinds of temptations and all types of ways in which we can lust after the things of this world. If you look at just the way in which advertising has changed over the last 50 years, it's, it's crazy. It's amazing to see. I remember as a child, one of the big things that came out was uh, as you would go through the supermarket, Publix did something different. Is they, they made family-friendly aisles uh, and checkout aisles in which they would put these blocks on so that as you went through, uh, children wouldn't look up and say, hey, mom, how does somebody have an 80-pound baby? Or, you know, why does that one have bat wings or something like that? There was, there was these protectors in front. But as, as we look now, there's, there's something that's changed. Most of our children now have phones, and they have far worse things on these phones in which they're able to scroll through. And interestingly enough, it's not just the children that have these. There's adults that have these things. And there's a continual scrolling. There's, there's this idea. Back then, there was this continual thing about how magazines back then were messing with the teenage girls and their, their image. And there was coming out with all these different eating disorders and the challenges. And it was a big wrestling with culture of, of how do we protect the, the girls and the society in it. And now, all of a sudden, it's, it's unbridled. It's, it's a continual thing. And it's something that uh, parents are wrestling with and children are wrestling with because it's so appealing to the eyes. 
But as we start to think about that, it's not just the younger generation that we have to, to wrestle with that. If you look at any type of news organization, you look at any sports cast, anything, what is used to advertise? What do they use? They use different people clothed in different things or lack of clothing. The ways in which you can be watching a sports game and next thing you know, you're, you're off to the side and there's your grandchild watching something that's on the TV that, that 50 years ago no one would ever think about. But there it is, and it's, and it's used to advertise something. We also see in, in the church culture how there is this continual way in which this darkness appears, and it's, it's an individual thing. It's in, in people's hands or in the darkness of a room at night. And pornography is, is not just affecting the men, but it's affecting the women in, in our culture. And it's continuing to bring this darkness and into uh, those that are seeking to find light. And so there's there's this really kind of confusing thing, and, and our minds kind of spin, and we start to try and figure things out. But I remember hearing a statistic on a, on a men's retreat a while back where they had interviewed men, and they, these were men that were married, and they had had an affair. And so they asked all of these men, uh, if, if you had to choose between who was more beautiful, your wife or the woman in which you had an affair with, 80% of the men said, I think that my wife is more attractive. It, it blew my mind because all of a sudden I started to realize, you know what? I have always lived in a very rational world where I start to look at things and I start to explain things and I can see them. But the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh is something irrational a lot of times. It's something that wells up within us. It's something that the devil uses to distract us, to, to weigh us down, to bring us. It also wells up in us in what Paul calls the old man that, that's fighting against these things, these desires that come up. And it's, and it's very overwhelming. It's oftentimes crippling. It's oftentimes one in which we feel alone and we don't have any way in which to be able to fight against it. And as we, we move through, we'll see different ways to fight. But there's also uh, another layer that goes on top of that. As we look at uh, the next point, the pride of life, there's all kinds of ways we could go by talking about the pride of life. Uh, but it is described as the attitude of someone who refuses to rely on God while he boasts in what he has seemingly gained by himself. It is a self-dependence or a self-glorification and as we look at this, particularly in the terms of lust or these selfish desires, what we start to see is in our own lives, oftentimes in the idea of, of lust of the eyes or lust of the flesh, the way in which we protect ourselves from those is with additional lusts or additional desires. So think about that for a moment. There are ways in which oftentimes we are in the world, and we're participating in things, and all of a sudden we see something coming on the horizon. Whether that's you uh, walking along, and uh, there's something that you see, and you look at it, and you say, huh, I wonder if I should pick that up. And so you look around, and you wonder who's watching. Again, there is a, a lust, an idea of you wouldn't want necessarily someone looking or seeing what you're doing, so there's a, there's a lust to have a good or a good image in which somebody's looking at you. If you're driving down the road and, and your foot starts to get heavy and you're starting to accelerate and you're going faster and faster, what it is it that keeps your foot and pulls it back and allows you not to speed? What, what's that desire there? Is it that you don't want to lose money? You don't want to lose out on success? 
Or is it because that's what the law of the land is? And the Lord is the one who has put people into place who have made these rules, who have made these laws. And so as, as you start to see those things, they start to compound. And what we realize in that, and as I, as I started to see this and started to become more convicted, is oftentimes what I'm doing as I see darkness coming towards me, as I look and I see a clear and a helpful way to go, but instead I reach for more darkness to try and cancel out the darkness that's already in my life. And it's a very dangerous thing because oftentimes no one sees that. And so in that pride of life, it's starting to build up. You're starting to think, well, maybe I'm successful. Maybe I was able to do this. And, and people might even be noticing, say, wow, that, that individual has it really together. And there again, we see that the pride of life is really tied to so much of this lust, and it's so dangerous for the believers. And John knows this, and he wants to keep us away from it. And so as we think about the ways to fight lust in our own, eye, in our own lives, I go back to the idea of the dashboard. I want, don't want to leave y'all hanging with that, but as I, as I was listening to this news program, basically what they said is a dashboard was originally designed for horse-drawn carriages. And somebody came up with a good idea of if you have horses and they're running and they're kicking up stuff, you'd want to put a board there to protect. And as those things are flying up, you've, you've got the protection. And as we moved into automobiles, they put a, a, a dashboard there as well because they wanted to protect the road to coming up. And so as the Apostle John is looking and he's identifying these sins in individuals' lives and even in his own life, he knows that there needs to be protection, that there needs to be a way in which to fight against those lusts. And so he gives them to us. It's all throughout the book of First John. It's all throughout the Bible. But there are one clear thing that we need to have at the beginning is that John is telling us in that chapter or in, in, in verse 15 that we need to be aware that to, to fight against the lust of the world, we need to be believers. We need to have our faith and trust put in Jesus. That is the way in which we can fight against lust. That is the first and the last step of it. And so if we think about that, we have to think of how Jesus defeated all of the lusts of this world. He defeated sin. He defeated Satan. And now he has invited us to be able to enter into uh, his, his forgiveness. So as we believe in him, as he opens our, our eyes to our sins and he opens our hearts to be able to understand what he's offering in the gospel and he gives us that free gift of grace, grace, we're able to be forgiven of our sins. But not only that, as he is able to apply his perfect works, his righteousness to us. And so now we are able to, to appear before the Lord, not only appear, but we are able to stand before him as, as a forgiven people, one in which is able to, to come and, to, and when he sees us, he sees Jesus. And so the question is, is if you're not a believer tonight, why not? Why are you looking to darkness to find fulfillment? Why are you looking to the lust of this world to find some kind of excitement or to make it another day or another step when you have the gift of the gospel for you that can be poured out upon you? And for believers, there's a tremendous encouragement here because in this, we're able to, to go and we're able to be reminded of how God has forgiven us when we are downcast, when we're upset, at yet again, we've, we've failed. There is the continual encouragement that the gospel is not just for salvation. It's for every day of our lives and forever and ever. And so with that, we come to the conclusion 
of how we are able to, to fight in more of a practical way. Uh, as we are in Jesus, we also uh, must walk in the light. We must be reminded over and over again that we are to be drawn towards the Lord. Uh, earlier in this passage, uh, in, this, in this letter, John reminds believers, he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us of all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So to walk in the light, again, begins with the gospel. It takes every step in the light, in the gospel. But there's also this Christian mindset in which we have as we start to look at the things of this world. As we look at, towards the end of this passage, we need to be reminded that the, the things of this world are passing away. As Christians, we need to understand that all of these things that are raging against the Lord are going to fail. All the lusts that are here will pass away and that there's a great hope in which when we go to heaven, they'll all be gone at the Lord's return. But there's also some practical ways in which the Lord has given us to be able to fight against these. And in this church, I've been so blessed to hear them over and over again come from this very pulpit, the, the, the ordinary means of grace in which we look. And so the Lord has given us his word. And so we need to look at it. As we look to the word, we're filled with ways in which to fight against the lusts of this world. We're able to see the Lord more clearly, and all of a sudden we're being filled with him. As we're filled with his word, we spend less time spending looking at the things of this world. We start to look at the Lord more. As we start to, to dive in and study it, we see the ways in which our sinful nature wants to, long, to go after these things. We're able to examine our heart and to be able to, to see ways in which we can start to identify sins further away and we can start to protect. We can even start to memorize sin, or different Bible verses that will help us in areas that we're continuing to struggle but we're also able to see the different sins and the different ways in which we're lusting that we might not have had in the past because the Lord is sanctifying us. And then we're even able to take that a step further, and in the church, we're able to share those with others. We're able to walk shoulder to shoulder with others. We're able to sharpen each other. We're able to encourage each other in the ways in which we've overcome lust or the ways in which we've been challenged and the Lord has forgiven us in those again. We also have prayer there's a tremendous way in which as we come and we feel weak and we are unable to fight against things, it's because that's the truth. That's the way in which we are. On our own, we're unable to fight. But as we, as we pray and we reach out to the Lord, He reminds us of His promises. He reminds us of His Word. And then He is able to, to encourage us. He's able to provide us that spiritual nourishment which will allow us to be able to fight. He is equipping us through the Holy Spirit to fight against all of these sins. We've been given the power to do it. And as we continue to fight and as we mess up, we're growing closer and closer to the Lord. But as we pray, there's questions that we have to ask ourselves. Are we praying for others who lust? Are there ways in which we're involved in other individuals' lives as a church where we know what others are struggling with? And the same would be, the question is, are there individuals in our lives that we're willing to share our lusts with that we would start to be able to, to ask them to pray for us? And if there's not, there's a question there because that means that there's something holding you back from being able to share that. And that, again, goes back to the idea of lust. There is some kind of desire in your mind or 
uh, in there where you don't want people to see really who you are or what you're doing. And of course, there's wisdom in how you would want to approach someone and you'd want somebody to have confidence and help you and encourage you. But there's a great encouragement as a body for us to work together. John is not talking to one individual. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the children of believers and how they want to come together and spur each other on. And so are we praying for one another? Are you letting anyone know how to pray for you? And then as we come to a close, we also have this beautiful table. We have our baptisms. We have the ways in which we are called in the Westminster Confession of Faith that says that we are to improve our baptisms. We're supposed to be reminded daily over and over again of how we have been washed with the water, how the Lord has worked in our lives. And now instead of us trying to to cover and, and stay away from lusts with other lusts, we're saying, you know what? As, as I glorify the Lord, I'm able to enjoy Him more. There's this freedom that all of a sudden comes up. As I fail, you know what? I failed, but the Lord has forgiven me, and I want to pursue Him more because in that, not only am I bringing Him more glory, but I'm also enjoying Him more. And as we uh, come to this table, there is the sweet nourishment that comes through this meal. Jesus knew that we were going to have struggles. He knew that we were going to have lusts that we wrestled with, and he wanted to equip us and prepare us. And so with that, let me close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ways in which you have revealed sins in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the ways in which you have given us brothers and sisters in the Lord that can encourage us, that can spur us on. We thank you for your word and how it is uh, able to, to stomp on our flesh and it is able to allow us to have greater clarity and to be able to see uh, the different sins in our lives. But Lord, also we're able to see you more clearly. So as we head to the table, Lord, we pray that you would prepare us, that you would not only prepare us for this meal, but you would prepare us for what lies ahead and the hardships and the trials. And Lord, may we be equipped to serve you more clearly. In your heavenly and awesome name we pray. Amen.